0: Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 47. Last week we saw Jacob's and Joseph's reunion on the fertile plains of Goshen, where the tiny nation of Israel would ride out the storm of the famine in plenty. God used Egypt and Pharaoh in particular to protect and provide for his people. The remainder of our story is the aftermath of a 20 plus year storm. God was about to calm the storm between the brothers in sight of their father and bring about a peace like they had never known in all of their lives. If you like to take notes, I encourage you to do so. Flip over your bulletin where we'll see, number one, royal blessings exchanged. Letter A, we see Pharaoh's blessing to the brothers. Now it was time for Joseph to present his family to Pharaoh. They were coming to live full-time in this king's land and under his blessing, Joseph had prepared his father and he chose selected five brothers as representatives to introduce them to Pharaoh. Since Joseph knew that the Egyptians looked down on shepherds of sheep, he prepared them to only answer Pharaoh's specific questions. They knew how to answer this king when called upon, and no doubt Joseph had hands selected who would appear, and he schooled them as to the protocol for being presented in this formal court. And he selects five that will come into the court and represent the family there. Let's begin reading verse or chapter 47, verse 1. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. And indeed, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please Let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock." The brothers were elevated in status, not unlike Joseph had been earlier. They entered into the court of this king as resident aliens, but they walked out with the title of Pharaoh's official herdsman. Joseph had been exceptionally kind and faithful to this king over the years, and now the king reciprocated the same back to Joseph and his family. What a huge blessing! For these 11 brothers we saw letter a pharaoh's blessing to the brothers and now we see letter b jacob's blessing to pharaoh no doubt joseph had spoken to pharaoh over the years about his wonderful father the patriarch of his long lost family i can imagine the ruler wanted to meet the apple of joseph's eye after all these years of hearing joseph brag about him I mean, after all, after seeing a man like Joseph, the integrity, his hard work, his trustworthiness, I can imagine Pharaoh would want to meet the father that raised this lad. Verse 7, Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are one hundred and thirty years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. It's interesting that when Jacob was introduced to the most powerful man in the world, the patriarch of Israel, decided he would speak first. Jacob brought God into the conversation at the onset by blessing Pharaoh both at the beginning and the ending of their brief exchange. I find it fascinating that Jacob describes the years of his life as a pilgrimage. He knows this world is not his home. He's just traveling through on his way home to god he's a pilgrim in this life and know it or not you and i are too this is just a stopping point where we get to worship god we get to make him known to others and then we're on to our eternal home which is in heaven it's a great perspective for us to maintain this world is not our home we're just passing through When describing his life to the king, the word used for evil has the connotation of a hard and filled life with difficulties, that evil had had come upon him many times in his walk. When Jacob compares himself to his forefathers, Abraham and Isaac, he asserts that he has not lived up to the accomplishment in their lives. While his first 130 years had been a mixture of blessings and difficulties, disappointments, His final 17 years would be filled with a richness he couldn't have imagined. The reunion of his beloved son, Joseph, for example. The opportunity to meet his two grandsons that he didn't even know lived, Ephraim and Manasseh. And the best of all that Egypt had to offer would be his and his tribe's. They would be 17 years of peace and joy and reflection for this father and grandfather. And this fledgling nation would enjoy a sense of peace all the while providing a testimony of their faithful God to Egypt. Someone said, what you think of me is none of my business. And that's how we probably should operate most of the time. (laughs) You know, don't take things personal. I don't care what you think of me. I'm going to live my life in this way, no matter what you think. I think that's mostly true. But in regards to life testimonies, we should strive to bring honor and glory to God before the world. It does matter what they think about our walk with God. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12 tells us, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, and when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. We should have an honorable life, conduct among the world. They should be able to look at us and see that God, that, that we live our lives in such a way that we honor God that we honor Scripture. We've seen Pharaoh's blessing to his brothers, Jacob's blessing to Pharaoh, and now let's look at letter C, God's blessing to his people. As we read last week, at this point in our story, there are still five years remaining of this seven-year famine. And as it dragged on, the Egyptians struggled to survive. But God blessed his people just as he said he would. Verse 11 And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread according to the number in their families. Now there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said give us bread for why should we die in your presence for the money has failed then joseph said give your livestock and i will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone so they brought their livestock to joseph and joseph gave them bread in exchange for their horses the flocks the cattle of the herds and for the donkeys thus he fed with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. When that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of the Lord but our bodies and our hands. Why should we die before our eyes, before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us, And our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed, that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every man of the Egyptians sold his field, because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's, and as for the people, he moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy. For the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their lands. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth, that's 20%, to Pharaoh, the rest they could keep. Four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field and for your food, for those of your households, as a food for your little ones. So they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priests only, which, he did not beca- did, which did not become Pharaoh's. Joseph again revealing his God-given talent for handling business makes some very wise decisions in this emergency situation in order to save the lives of the Egyptians But it comes at a great cost to them. They use up all their money, and then they sell all their land back to Pharaoh. And eventually, they even had to sell themselves as servants to Pharaoh. This moves all the farmers and those living out in the remote areas into the cities so they can distribute grain more effectively and efficiently during this famine. At the end of the famine, the people were allowed to go back to their land to work, at a tax rate of 20%. Joseph literally set up an entire economy over the five years of drought, and Pharaoh became the wealthiest man in the known world. What were the Israelites doing while all this is going on? Well, they were multiplying, both in possessions as well as in number. Exodus tells us that the land of Egypt was full of Jews. One biblical historian estimates the number. To be at least two million people at the time of their departure with moses 400 years later many people think that god can't work through pagan rulers but he does all the time kings like pharaoh cyrus in daniel's day we're told to pray for those in power over us because god has placed them there for his purpose and we should pray regularly for as Proverbs 21.1 reveals, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Verse 27. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. In number one of our notes, we saw royal blessings exchanged. And now in number two, we see the inheritance of a father. Jacob was blessed to have his son Joseph for his first 17 years of life. And then at the other end of his life, he got another 17 years with him before he passed on. But even while Jacob is on his deathbed, God is always at work and he has the perfect plan for his people to live on in this world. His plan for you and for me is perfect as well even in the middle of the storm, even when we can't figure out why this is happening to us, even when we don't know how to respond to a specific storm that comes our way, God is always at work. He's always doing something for our good and we're to give Him glory for that. In letter A, we see Jacob's plan for his funeral. It is clear that once Jacob learned that joseph was alive and that the ten sons had participated in joseph's enslavement that he passed the firstborn son's rights onto joseph it would not be reuben this included the planning of his funeral and burial which jacob wanted to take place in the promised land let's continue reading in verse 28 and jacob lived in the land of egypt 17 years So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now, if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh. Now, this was a custom equal to our raising of our right hand to take an oath and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And Joseph said, I will do as you have said. Then Jacob said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Let's move on to chapter 48 now, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Dad mustered enough strength to sit up on the edge of the bed when it was reported that his son is coming to him, he knew his life was about to end. And so I just picture him getting up on his elbows and struggling to sit up in bed, perhaps helped by a servant. He throws his feet over to the side of the bed so that he can face his son and greet him one final time. Verse 3, Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. As I read that, it troubles me that many churches today believe that God has removed his blessing from his people and placed it on the church. That Israel is no longer his people. And nothing could be further from the truth. I don't know how you would make this argument when in so many places, God calls this covenant an everlasting possession. The Jews are His everlasting people. He promised Abraham clear back in Genesis chapter 12. They would always be His people. Verse 5, And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Jacob is taking these two sons and he's adopting his grandchildren into the Israelite nation. Jacob is ensuring an inheritance in the land for Joseph's boys by adopting them into the family here. Verse 6, "'Your offspring whom you beget after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of your brothers in their inheritance.'" But as for me, when I came to Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way. When there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not fought to see your face. I've, I never thought I'd see you again. But in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. Not only did I get to see your face again, Joseph, but I got to see your sons, my two grandsons, who I would have never met if... God had not given me this grace verse 12 so Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth Joseph knows what's about to happen here that Jacob the father of Israel is going to bless these two children Joseph's two children now remember as he is going to do this Manasseh is the firstborn Ephraim is the secondborn so In theory, at least, in in practice, Joseph should place his hand on Manasseh, his right hand, to impart the firstborn blessing to Manasseh. And then he places his left hand, or should place his left hand on Ephraim. He's a secondborn, and he'll get a blessing, but Manasseh is the one that should get the firstborn rights. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand. Wait a minute. Ephraim's secondborn. What does he do? Well, Joseph, he lines this up because he believes he knows what's supposed to happen. But when this patriarch goes to bless them, his right hand is now taken Ephraim. His left hand has taken Manasseh. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, his left side. So he's like this. And Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right and brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly. This is not by accident. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's been told by God to do this, and nothing is going to deter him. Guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Verse 15, and he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel, and that's Jesus Christ, who was, has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them. This is a beautiful prayer. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim it displeased him and Joseph said to his father not so my father for this one is the firstborn put your hand your right hand on his head but the father but his father refused and said I know my son I know Manasseh also shall have or shall become a people and he also shall be great but truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. Several times in Scripture, down the line now, many generations later, when Israel is back in Canaan, and they're experiencing, they go in and the 12 tribes are, are dispersed among uh, Israel. And they eventually split into the northern kingdom and the the southern kingdom. Oftentimes in Scripture, the ten ten tribes in the northern kingdom are described as the tribes of Ephraim. So we see a, a prophecy is true here. Verse 20, so he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh, And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given you one portion above your brothers. The firstborn got a double portion. They distributed it equally except for the firstborn. He got two portions. Which took from the hand of the which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. It is clear that Joseph had become the heir apparent to his father Jacob, who provided to Joseph a double portion of the inheritance. The prophet Ezekiel prophesies that Joseph will have two portions of the land in the coming kingdom inside the promised land. When they got to go in. Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, would be given a tribe in Israel. But wait, there's already 12 brothers. There's already 12 tribes. So how can Manasseh and Ephraim be tribes in Israel? Wouldn't that make it 14? No. Next week we're going to find out that God, and through Jacob, is going to give word to these other brothers. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit restoredcommunitychurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.